Have you ever had someone start a conversation with you by saying, uh, don't get mad, but, or don't freak out, but, and how effective is that? It's, it's not effective because often before they even tell you what you shouldn't freak out about or get mad about or worry about, you're now upset or worried about being upset or worried. And then they tell you something that is absolutely going to make you mad or worried. This passage of scripture is kind of like that. Because in this passage of scripture, Jesus tells us not to worry or be afraid. But then he tells us some things that are pretty worrisome and should cause us some fear. But Jesus isn't doing that thing where he tells us not to be afraid and then gives us reasons to be afraid. Rather, Jesus tells us not to worry, gives us a warning, but then follows it with a promise. And that promise can provide all of the peace our hearts can handle. So let's look at Luke chapter 12 together. We'll start reading in verse 4. And I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, and after that have no more that they can do. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after he is killed, has the power to cast into hell. Yes, I say to you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two copper coins, and not one of them is forgotten before God? But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore. You are of more value than many sparrows. And let's skip down. 15 verses to verse 22. Then he said to his disciples, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life or what you will eat, nor about the body, what you will put on. Life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, which have neither storehouse nor barn, and God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? If you then are not able to do the least, why are you anxious for the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow, neither toil nor spin. And yes, I say to you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If then God so clothes the grass, which today is in the field and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you? O you of little faith, and do not seek what you should eat or what you should drink, nor have an anxious mind. For all these things the nations of the world seek after, and your Father knows that you have need of these things. But seek the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added to you. Do not fear, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Years ago, I read a book that greatly influenced my preaching. And in the book, the author said that many times preachers are like a man on the shore yelling out to someone drowning, swim, swim. And obviously the problem is not that the person doesn't know that they should swim. The problem is that the drowning person doesn't know how to swim, or for some reason, they're not capable of swimming in that moment. It would be really easy with this passage to simply preach to you, don't worry, don't be afraid. 
But that's not the message that Jesus gives us here. That's really the message of the world. It's quite summed up, it's summed up quite uh, nicely uh, in the Pixar film, the Pixar classic Finding Nemo. There's a character named Dory, and she tells the distraught father who's looking for his son, hey, don't worry, just keep swimming. Just keep swimming. And of course, it's easy for Dory to give that advice because she's the type of fish that she doesn't remember anything longer than about 15 seconds. And it's real easy to, to present that message of, hey, just don't worry when you're constantly forgetting everything. Right now, the world's message of, hey, don't worry, don't worry about it. Everything's going to be fine. Everything's going to work out. Just think positively. That is really not seeming very effective right now in our broken world. And so Jesus doesn't tell us, hey, don't worry about it, forget about it. He tells us not to worry, but he follows that with a promise. Jesus very explicitly says, don't worry in this passage. Verse 4, he says, my friends, don't be afraid. Verse 7, he says, the very head, hair on your head is numbered. Don't fear, therefore. Verse 22, do not worry about your life. Verse 26, why do you worry? Verse 29, don't worry about these things. Verse 32, do not be afraid. But he doesn't tell us that we should not worry by forgetting about it or pretending that it's not real. He doesn't tell us to have peace through denial or minimizing. Rather, he gives us peace through a promise. He does more than yell, keep swimming from the shore. He warns us about the waves of hypocrisy and minimizing, but he throws us a lifeline in a beautiful promise. Now, before we get to that promise, let me point out two rogue waves that Jesus warns about. These, these two false hopes that many people cling on to, minimizing and pretending. Jesus opened his teaching in this chapter with beware the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Just a couple of verses up from where we read, he starts off his message by being, telling everyone, be careful of the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. And he calls it leaven. And the idea that Jesus is presenting here is that hypocrisy is something that's unseen on the surface. Leaven is yeast that you put in bread. And that little bit of yeast kneaded into all of the dough causes all of the bread to rise. And even though it's just a little bit, it can have an incredible amount of impact on the whole loaf of bread. And Jewish women, they would have had a little bit of leaven or yeast in a little ball that they kept in the house. They would take that and they would knead that into the bread that they were making right then. And then they would take a little pinch off of that bread that they had just made. And it would be their leaven for the next loaf of bread. It's kind of the same concept as friendship bread if you've ever done friendship bread. You take the yeast, you mix it into your bread, and then you pull out one pinch of all of the bread, which will become the yeast for the next. You see, yeast or leaven is like this contaminant that can be easily transferred from loaf to loaf, from bread to bread. It's this ingredient that has an incredible amount of impact on the whole, and it can easily be transferred to another. And hypocrisy works the same way. Hypocrisy is like this contaminant that isn't seen on the surface, but it affects everyone and can easily be transferred from person to person. 
Hypocrisy infiltrates the culture of churches all of the time. People feel this pressure to pretend like they've got it all together. <clears throat> and hypocrisy is so pervasive that many people get to the point where they've even fooled themselves into thinking that everything is okay even when it isn't. But most people spend their hypocrisy trying to make sure that everyone else thinks they're okay. Now, when we think of hypocrisy, we usually think of people pretending to be more righteous than they really are. But hypocrisy comes in all shapes and sizes. There are people who are hypocrites and they don't pretend to be holy, but they pretend to be happy. There are people who are hypocrites and they don't pretend to be righteous, but they pretend to be tough. There are people who are hypocrites and they don't pretend to be moral, but they pretend to have money. It's pretending. And it might look like self-righteousness, or it might look like false happiness, or it might look like pretending that you're more popular than you really are. It's just pretending. And the problem with hypocrisy is that pretending that you're not worried doesn't make you less worried. It actually makes you more worried. Because now you're not only worried about the thing you were worried about, you're also worried about people finding out the real you, discovering who you really are. And hypocrisy is so contagious, it breeds more hypocrisy. And so when we have hypocrisy in us, it affects those that we attend church with, it, it, it deadens the power of the gospel, the gospel reach into the lives of people around us because what we're spreading is not the gospel truth and transformation, but rather our pretending. I heard a story years ago of a zoo that was noted for having just a really wide array of animals. They had an impressive collection of animals. But one day the gorilla died and the zookeeper didn't want people to think that the zoo had less animals than it had before. And so he hired a man to wear a gorilla suit and walk around the enclosure so people would still think from a distance, oh, there's, there's still a gorilla here. And the man got on the gorilla suit, but he didn't really know how to act like a gorilla. So he was really trying to, to, to sell the act. He was really trying to, to put himself into the role. And so he climbed up in this tree and he was trying to swing around like he thought a gorilla would. And he fell and he fell over the wall into the next enclosure, which was full of lions. The man was terrified. He thought this was it. His life was over. So he began screaming, help, help, help. And at that moment, one of the lions ran over and said to him, man, be quiet. You're going to get us both fired. You see, often when we get real and yell out for help, we find that we're not surrounded by lions, but other people in costumes just like us. When we open up to who we really are, the other lions turns out, turn out to be just like us, more pretenders. So, Hypocrisy and pretending is not a viable way to avoid worry. Jesus also warns us here about minimizing. In this passage, Jesus doesn't say, hey, don't worry, everything's going to be fine. Rather, he gives us something that's more important to worry about. He says in this passage, don't worry or don't fear those who can take your life, but rather fear those, fear the one who can put your soul in hell. Jesus says, don't worry about the person who can take your earthly life. Worry about the person who will take your eternal life. You see, Jesus doesn't provide peace by pulling punches. And he doesn't provide peace by keeping the bad news a secret. If you're a parent, 
or grandparent, there's most likely been a time where you kept some knowledge from your kids. You didn't mention the fact that there's a forecast for thunderstorms tonight because you know that if they know there's thunderstorms, they're not going to fall asleep. Or maybe you've turned the news when they begin to talk about some horrific crime or accident that has taken place. And there's appropriate times for us to shelter our children from information that will do them no good. But Jesus doesn't shelter his disciples from the truth about hell. Jesus says you should fear the one who can send your soul to hell. And the literal word that Jesus uses here for hell is Gehenna, and it refers to a literal place that came to have a figurative meeting. The place of Gehenna was a place where the Israelites, when they were wandering away from God, they offered human sacrifices. And so when Josiah came uh, to, to power and he cleansed the land of all of this idol worship, he, he deemed that place cursed ground, a place where, where nothing should be. It was off limits. And so it became this place where people took their trash and their garbage. And so then it became a place of fire because the fires were lit to burn all of the trash and garbage. And so it was this cursed place of garbage and destruction and perpetual fires. And so people began to refer to the bad place of hell by the name Gehenna. Now there have been those who have said that because Jesus uses this term Gehenna, referring to a literal place that has a figurative meaning, that his references to hell are only figurative, that there isn't an actual place of fire and torment and destruction, but that's just a figure of speech. Now, friend, if Scripture only uses the idea of fiery torment as a figure or an illustration of the punishment to come in the afterlife for those who die in their sins, that's because the real punishment is beyond what we can understand. It means that the real punishment is beyond the torment of forever flames. On my lawnmower, I've used this illustration to speak of hell before. Maybe you remember on my lawnmower, there's a warning that warns you not to put your hand near the belts because they could, your hand can be pulled in. And the, the label is belts going through gears and a person's hand being pulled in. And just looking at the label causes me to cringe because it looks so painful. But as unpleasant as that label is, as unpleasant as that figure is, as unpleasant as that image is, actually experiencing it would be much worse. And figurative language doesn't take something and exaggerate it, but rather it helps us see an image or a glimpse of what really might be. And so if Jesus is only speaking figuratively here, it's because hell is something far worse than eternal flame. I believe Jesus is speaking of a literal place of forever judgment of souls. And if that is true, that is something that we should be incredibly afraid of. Something that we should be worried that anyone would go to. Jesus doesn't minimize reality he doesn't blunt the sharp edges so that we can have peace. But rather, he's very upfront that reality, the reality of hell, is far worse than anything that we currently 
worry ourselves with. You see, we trust in the wrong things because we are worried about the wrong things. Jesus doesn't minimize the situation of the world. He tells us what is really going on. But we don't recognize what we should really be worried about, so we don't look to trust in the things that we can really trust in. Jesus gives us an example of this here in this chapter. I didn't have time to read that passage, but Jesus tells us of a, of a rich man who has many fields, and his fields produce a bumper crop one year. And so the rich man says to himself, I will tear down my barns and build new barns to take in all my grain. His crop was so huge, he didn't have barns big enough to hold everything. But he said, I'll build bigger barns, I'll take in this bumper crop, and then I will coast. Then I will be at ease. I will take my comfort and be, to, and be at ease. And the Lord says to this man, fool, tonight your soul will face judgment. Jesus tells us the story about a man who finally thinks, I finally arrived. I finally can have ease and comfort because all of my material needs are going to be cared for. I've got more crop than I can even hold. I finally have everything that I could need or want. And in that moment, he thinks, oh, I don't have anything to worry about anymore. The man is saying to himself what every one of us says to ourselves. Once I get this, or once I have that, then I'll, I'll be at ease. I won't have to worry. Once we can just have this, once we can achieve this amount of money, once I retire, once we get that house, then I won't have to worry. And we are worried about the wrong things, so we put our confidence in the wrong things. We trust in the earthly because we are worried about the earthly. Jesus lifts our focus onto a worry that is far beyond our earthly material worries. He puts our focus upon the thing that should worry all of us, our eternal destination, our eternal fate. But then Jesus says in Luke 12, 32, do not fear, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. I once heard Craig Rochelle point out about this passage that Jesus would not have been a good um, good candidate to give the halftime speech to a football team because at halftime the football coach has got to get the guys pumped up and tell them that they're animals you're going to go out there and you're going to you're going to have the eye of the tiger you're going to have the strength of a bear you're going to go out there and soar like eagles when jesus says to the disciples don't be afraid he doesn't boost their self-confidence by comparing them to some great huge ferocious powerful beast some alpha animal at the top of the food chain he says, don't fear, little flock. Don't be afraid, little lambs. See, the reason is that our fear, our peace, is not based upon our strength or our ability. It doesn't matter if we're bears or eagles or tigers or lambs because the promise is in the rest of the verse. Do not fear, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Last week, Pastor Eric pointed out that our relationship dictates the manner and with which we communicate, that we talk to our boss differently than we talk to our spouse, that we talk to our supervisor differently than we talk to our father. If you have a close relationship, you communicate more. And you, if you have a contractual relationship, you provide a service for a reward. You provide work for pay. But a father, father's, a relationship with a father shouldn't be based upon transaction. 
Your father shouldn't do for you because you do for him. He should do for you because he loves you. Father shouldn't help you fix your car because you're paying him. Father should help you because he wants to help you. And we should not worry because our heavenly father delights to give us the kingdom. He's not under an obligation. He's not entered into a contract, but rather it is his delight. He takes good pleasure in giving us the kingdom. Uh, Just this past week, my father found out something that was a burden or a difficulty uh, for me. And he immediately said, oh, I feel so bad if I had only known, I would have helped with that. And there was nothing to be done. Um, and perhaps you have had situations in your life where you didn't tell your dad about something because you knew it's, well, it's not something he could help with. You don't want to worry him. In this passage, Jesus says, do, do not worry about these things. Your father has, has knowledge that you need them. Your father knows that you need them. If our earthly fathers want to help when they know about it. Our Heavenly Father knows what we need and is always able to help. Our Father knows what we truly need and He's able to provide what we truly need. He has gone to great lengths and great expense to give us what we need. We should have no fear. We should be free of worry. We should be filled with peace because our Father delights. He takes joy in giving us what we need. Think of something that gives you delight, that you look forward to, that is a joy for you. What Jesus tells us, the promise he gives us that can fill our hearts with peace is that our Father takes delight. He looks forward to, he revels in giving the kingdom to his children. And though the world is broken, and though there is a place of eternal destruction, we can have peace. Not because we are strong, not because we ignore what is wrong, but rather because our Father longs to give us the kingdom. It is his joy, his desire is delight. Fear not. Do not be afraid. Do not worry, for our Father delights to give us the king.